Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. What motivates seemingly rational people, professionals, scientists, and so-called experts in public health to proselytize and propagandize against safer nicotine products? Joining us today to pick through this question and more is Martin Cullop, International Fellow at the Taxpayers Protection Alliance and prolific writer on harm reduction policy issues for major publications such as Inside Sources, Center Square, Town Hall, and Filter. Martin, thanks for joining us again on RugWatch. Great to be here. Now, this is part two in our conversation. In part one, we talked in depth about the wrong turn Canada has taken on nicotine vapes, and viewers can find that on our social media channels and at our website on regulatorwatch.com. Today, let's broaden out the conversation to include developments in the United States and global. All the while, I want us to really drill down on the motivating factors driving the war on vaping. Martin, first off, is there a war on vaping? And if so, who is waging it? It seems to me to be um, some of the same people who, who, who drove the war on smoking. But what we've seen, I think, with vaping is a split in public health where uh, some people have, have gone along with vaping and couldn't see the benefits and others have just digging their heels in and just just saying no you know we're not we're not allowing this and uh, there's um there's uh, Carl Phillips who um, who's been who's been an activist for harm reduction or in favor of harm reduction for a long time he, he said once something that I think is very true he said the true test of if someone is a a, a a public health academic and actually cares about people is if you were to say to them, um, we can come up with a cigarette, which is completely harmless. Um, it'd be proven to have zero harm whatsoever. If that was the case, would you be happy with them smoking uh, and be happy that they, they're smoking and getting their nicotine how they like without harm? Or would you still object to that? And, and that's the difference. You know, the ones that say, well, that's great. You know, people are smoking, that, but they're not getting the harm. That's the job done. We're happy with that. But there are others that would just say, well, no, they shouldn't smoke. And, and they're ideologists and, and they're people who are, they just don't like other people doing things that they find a bit icky, that they disapprove of. And I think vaping has exposed this very well because it's exposed some public health people who've come out and said, this is great because this is a way for people to quit smoking or, or get their nicotine in a safer, safer form. And then there are others who just say, no, they, uh, and, and they, they, they just think up any old reason why that they, you know, they're just reaching at the, at the current time for anything they can find to throw at vaping to try and derail it. And they're not really interested in public health. They're just interested in their own petty um, prejudice, prejudices. There's an old saying, at least in Canada, a question that's posed, um, and I don't want our viewers to get offended, but you know it's just perfectly appropriate for this part of the conversation, and that is the question, does pot make you lazy, or do lazy people enjoy smoking pot? It's the that catch-22. My question to you is, is that, does being a public health professional make you tyrannical, or are tyrannical people, you know, attracted to public health? I, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I think there's a certain type of person who just enjoys 
um, bossing other people around. I think I, I, I would I could never be someone who's um, who, who who would be involved in something. You know, I, I I'm a live and live, let live guy. You know, I don't want to I don't want to get involved in other people's lives. I don't want to tell people what to do. But there is a type of person who does enjoy telling people what to do. And I think certain areas of public health is just perfect for their skills in that in that regard. You know, um, if you think about not just with vaping, but other areas of, of public health activism, uh, when it comes to things like fizzy drinks or uh, junk food, uh, all those things, you know, smoking, um, salt, sugar, all of those things, it all tends to be um, things that working class people enjoy. And, and there, there does seem to be an element for me, it's just my personal opinion, does seem to be an element of, of snobbery and all this, where, where they just look at what working class people enjoy and they just think, I don't think they should be doing that. And I could never be like that. But some people seem quite comfortable in doing that uh, and, and actually revel in it. They, they feel like they're, they're doing something fantastic because they're changing the way these these um, low life people, you know, the 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 um, the underclasses, they're changing their lives for the better. But I would I would argue that they're not changing their lives for the better. They're just making their lives more difficult, and they're and they're harming them. You know, if if you're making someone's life more difficult, you're harming them. So just for the fact you think you know what, I'd like to change that person's life. Well, you're harming them just by saying that because they should be allowed to make their own choices. You can educate them and you can say, you know, that's not very good for you, but that's about as far as I think that they should they should be taking it. They should not be saying, well, you're not listening to me, so I'm going to tax that product and I'm going to restrict that product and I'm going to make sure you don't have it. Uh, but, the, you know, uh, it, it seems that... I, I've, it's only an anecdote, but I, I, th I think the first time I came across this and I was truly... Um, astonished by it. it was someone that I knew years ago uh, we were going somewhere we were driving past a McDonald's and um, it's almost like they couldn't resist it and they just went McDonald's and and I said um, oh I quite like McDonald's and they, and they said something like oh they taste like cardboard and I said oh well, some of the options are really nice you know have you tried some of the the other burgers apart from Big Mac or the quarter pound of a cheese or whatever oh no I've never eaten McDonald's <laughs> you know, so how do you know they taste like cardboard? And it's it's just this thing. Well, other people eat them, and I don't like them. I don't like the people who eat them, eating them, um, and and therefore, so I don't like McDonald's. But um, and it just seems that thinking I, I see prevalent in a lot of the, the the campaigns towards these products. I mean, it's always Coca Cola is is apparently toxic and poison, and and McDonald's is is making our kids fat. But they never go after high-class restaurants, which have probably got far more, um, far more calories and far more rich things that are probably bad for you because they're okay because that's what we eat. You know, that's where the elites eat. That's where the rich people eat. And and th I think this is probably because I come from a working-class background myself. I you know I, I was I was born in in a, a, a council area in South London, and I've come up from there. And a lot of my friends are people who are you know in the trades. You know, they're they're brick bricklayers and their roofers and their road workers and I see that they're having their meager pleasures just chipped away at by these people when they just really just want to be left alone. It's interesting the way you put that. We always assume that it's the activity or the product that's being consumed is where the disgust comes from 
but maybe the disgust is actually for the class of person and anything they consume is something they're going to be naturally disgusted by. But it, it's really with the class, the person, the class, that the, that the real disgust is aimed at. Well, I, yeah, well, yeah, that's just my theory. Like I said, it's my personal theory. But, but if it was caring about these people, then they wouldn't be doing this because all of these regulations that they come out, they, no matter what they are, they all, they all harm the less well-off. People who are better off, people who've got a bit of money, can avoid them. They can get around them. But it's all those people who who, who are um, lower socio socioeconomic groups are the ones that can't avoid them. For example, you know, I, I travel quite a lot, um, and when I was smoking, I could go to different countries and and pick up cheap cigarettes because I travelled a lot. But people who who weren't as well off as me and had had jobs where they just worked in in local community, you know, painters and decorators, things like that, they never travelled. Well, they they couldn't just pick up duty free cigarettes anywhere. So. And we've got a thing over here, it's in Scotland, I think it's in Wales, of minimum alcohol pricing, which, which sets a floor price for alcohol because the, 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 um, the campaign all went around, but all these people are drinking cheap cider. Well, maybe they're drinking cheap cider because they haven't got much money, you know? Um, but so they raised the price of all that. Now, if, you, if you're drinking 60 pound bottles of Bollinger champagne, you're not affected by this. It's only, you're only affected if you're trying to, if you're on a, a, a small budget and you just want to have some some cheap drink at the end of the week or something. And those are the ones who are paying extra for it. So it's it's always always harms the less well off, and it's always things that the less well off uh, working classes like to enjoy. You know, a, a drink and a smoke and and a can of coke and a, and a McDonald's. These are the things that you know people on on working class wages like. But they're their pleasures, and they're being taken away from them. And it's just such a shame. And I just do think a lot of it is just other people looking at them and thinking, "I don't want you to do that because I disapprove of it." Now let's turn to uh, the specific uh, one of those objects of derision, and that, of course, is nicotine vapes. Come when you look at the U.S. market and everything that's been going on. I mean, is there really even actually a legal vaping market available in the U.S. anymore? What what's your what are your thoughts on what's been going on there? Well, it's, it, it seems to me that that the FDA is just um, trying to ban all products apart from a few. I think was it that they've, they've banned ninety nine percent of products that have submitted PMTA applications so far, and the only I think only three brands have been been authorized, and they're they're just tobacco flavored ones and i don't think they will allow any flavor apart from tobacco um which kind of renders the whole whole thing pointless you know uh, flavors are extremely important in vaping and i think they know that and i think they're making political decisions in the us i think they're they're spooked by the soccer moms and 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 the same kind of thing that you know if, if it's because vaping is, is all of a sudden something that middle class children do. You know, when when it's smoking and it was uh, lower class class people, you weren't you didn't have this Ferrari. You know, you didn't have them taking the toilet doors off of school school washrooms or or anything like that when it was just smoking because that's what the the poor kids did. Uh, but now some middle class kids are, are vaping. Then all of a sudden it's something vitally important. And I think the authorities, the FDA especially are probably just a bit scared of all that and and they they're terrified that if they start authorizing vaping products with a few flavors which they should be doing then there's going to be 
an absolute outrage from the middle classes in the US. So I think that's that's probably driving a lot of their thinking. Now, Martin, there's an article that you wrote in Issues and Insights that was published in April. Why are American legislatures supporting the cigarette trade? What were you getting at there? Well, you see it, state hearings up and down uh, the country in the US, uh, the same arguments are coming out all the time about trying to ban vaping, they're trying to tax vaping, they're, they're trying to ban flavors. Uh, they, some, a few of them are putting nicotine caps on. I mean, every, every regulation or restriction you put on vaping is protecting the cigarette trade. It's, it's a, it's a pro cigarette uh, proposal. And yet every, every, every state in the US is doing it. Hawaii has just brought in a ban on flavors. There's one just been uh, defeated in Colorado. Um, but that was a hell of a fight to, to stop it happening. And, and, um, and we're even getting some states where, where bills are being killed because it, they don't go for full prohibition. Uh, you know, the campaign for tobacco-free kids are killing bills because they don't go far enough. So they would prefer vaping to carry on being sold because they want the, the heaviest penalty against vaping that's possible. And all of this can only help um, cigarette sellers. It, can, it only helps the sales of cigarettes. And so this is what I'm saying. Why are they, why are they doing that? Why are these people doing it? And it has to be ideology. It has to be just, um, just a, a almost um, irrepressible rage against vaping because, well, I don't know why. I don't know why. Because if they were public health uh, focused, then they wouldn't be doing it. They would be thinking, well, this is great because these are less harmful products. We need to get smokers to switch to them instead of trying to take them away. Now, you say ideology. Is that a left-right um, issue in terms of ideologies, or it's something different than that? I don't know. It tends to be Democrats in the U.S. Um, uh, go for these things more than than Republicans. And I, I think that was true in the U.K. in the early years of vaping here as well. It seemed to be conservatives who were uh, more willing to listen to the ideas of harm reduction with vaping and the Labour Party in the UK was slow to the party. But we've got cross-party cross, uh, cross party consensus here on vaping, so um, we're, we're, we're doing okay. But I'm not, sh I'm not sure. I, I think it must be, I suppose, just for the fact that it, it seems to be Democrats who are tabling most of these bills or proposing these bills. Um, and it seems to be mostly Republicans who are opposing them. But I suppose that's just the way of politics. I think, I think people of left of centre tend to... Uh, be more willing to uh, uh, more willing to imagine, you know, restrictive legislation, whereas those on the right tend to favour freedom a little bit more. But maybe that's just a thing that we've always we've always had throughout history. Let me let me make sure I understand the breakdown here, and correct me if I'm wrong. But left of centre politically is they, they practically invented harm reduction when it comes to, you know, hard drugs and a bunch of other mm. things. But yet, though, they just won't accept uh, harm reduction when it comes to tobacco. On the other side, conservatives on the right, they're the ones that have been the natural enemies to, you know, needle exchanges, harm reduction, and so forth. But they tend to support nicotine vaping more than the center left. I mean, it's just all mixed up. 
Yeah, it's. I think with with drugs, it's it's a morality issue to conservatives, isn't it? I know over here. I mean, you know, looking over at America, you have states decriminalising cannabis all over the place. Canada has done the same. Um, I think Uruguay, all of those places. That, and uh, uh, but over here, it's been suggested a few times. Look, look at the rest of the world. Look what's happening. Maybe the UK should follow their their lead. And the conservatives have just just completely dismissed it. Every time it's mentioned, the Conservative Party in this country has completely dismissed it. No, drugs are bad, drugs are bad. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think part of the reason, that, again, it's just an opinion and it's something that I've noticed in other areas of lifestyle regulation, is that maybe the left, um, they're more suspicious of big business. And I think, I think you know, like the... the products we were mentioning earlier, Coca-Cola, big business, McDonald's, big business, um, multi, you know, the multinational tobacco companies, big, big business. So I think there might be an element of that in it as well, whereas the left don't like, I mean, they make big play, I think, in America, don't they, about the fact that these products are made by tobacco companies, even though most uh, vaping products are not made by tobacco companies, they're made by independent uh, companies, but they they will constantly say big tobacco, big tobacco, and you know you now hear uh, you know the the term big soda and, uh, and and stuff like that, and of course McDonald's and Burger King they'll they'll call them junk junk food and and say oh it's, it's just terrible. So I think there might be an element of that as well that on the left that they just don't like big corporations and and I think with think cannabis they're quite happy to buy from someone down the street who's maybe has a little little cannabis grown plant but when they talk about cannabis they're, they're all in favour of it but then if if uh, Philip Morris came in and said you know what we're going to start making cannabis then all of a sudden they would be against Philip Morris making cannabis because it's a big corporation so I think there's probably some of that going on as well. Interesting. In an article that you wrote uh, that was published in Filter, the U.S. obsession with youth vaping looks odd from across the Atlantic. Yeah, I, I wrote that because uh, because getting involved with um, stuff in the U.S., what, what surprised me was that it seems strange for people in America. They... they, they I remember seeing lots of times on, on Twitter people saying, oh, God, I saw an old person vaping the other day. Oh, it just seems weird. Um, but in this country, it's mostly older people who vape. It's not really a young person's thing. I think now that disposables have come around, I see more young people vaping. But but really vaping, because the way we've been quite sober about it or we haven't been hysterical about vaping in this country, it tends to be... Um, older people who have been smoking for a number of years who take up vaping. And I think that's probably why it's, it doesn't look rebellious to young people in this country. And we've got very few young people who, who, who vape, you know, people under age, especially ones who, who haven't been previous smokers. I mean, all the, I think all the, the data says that the, the young people who are vaping were previously smokers, which obviously is, is, is a better thing for them to use rather than combustible tobacco. So that, that's why I was writing that, just to say it seems strange to us over here. I mean, my local supermarket sells uh, e-cigarettes in the health aisle next to plasters and deodorant and toothbrushes. And there's nothing really less rebellious about something that's sold in the health aisle in the local supermarket. 
And, and I th sometimes think if the US took that approach and just toned it all down a bit and just told kids, look, this is just for people who quit smoking, there's nothing clever about it, then they might not have the problems they've got. But that's just assuming they, they really don't want the problems they've got. That's not, you know, if I'm saying it's an ideology, which, which I think it is, then they want to emphasize the problems. They want, they want to be hysterical about it because they want people to react to the hysterics and, and sort of, they want a moral panic. And, and going back to that article before we said about all this, the states and the way they're acting, I think a lot of these policymakers and lawmakers in the states have just been caught up in this moral panic and they really do believe that vaping is going to kill kids because that's what a lot of them say in, in their state hearings. And I just think they're very, very badly misinformed uh, by people who should really know better. I really like this uh, particular poll quote here that you've got looking across the pond. Brits see a panic-stricken and oppressive environment for vape shops and vapors. Now, that's pretty dark. Yeah, we. I, I think I wrote in that article that we have, we have a, a vape shop in every high street. We, I think it's Main Street. We call it over there. Um, every high street's got a vape shop. Uh, sometimes more than one, and no one really thinks anything of it. It's just something that's on the high street uh, because. You know, everyone recognizes over here that vaping is what people use to quit smoking. There's still a few people who say say to me, is it really that much safer than, than smoking though? But they they do recognize that it is it is is less harmful than smoking. Whereas in America, um some of the hysteria and the absolute panic inducing language that's being used in, in these state hearings is is quite Quite shocking. It's like when I first saw them, I was thinking, "What's going on here?" Uh, just people who I've seen stay here where people have been in tears, literally in tears, and and you think, "Where's this? Where's this coming from?" But it's just the language that's being used by those who are opposed to vaping, and it's it's got to a fever pitch in America. Whereas here, it's quite relaxed, and so we look across the Atlantic and think, "What on earth is going on over there?" Um, because over here, it's just a load of old people quitting smoking by using vapes. <laughs> and you may get people there asking you, is it really that much safer, you know, than smoking? My question for you and for some of our uh, viewers, I'm sure, are there really vape retail stores in hospitals in the UK? Yeah, it's not widespread. It's it's one, I can't remember what town it's in, but yeah, it's uh, they, the local... NHS Health Trust went into partnership with this uh, uh, this this vape company, and there's there's um, a vape shop in hospital. I think it's two hospitals in the Midlands, I think, or Nottingham, and yeah, they do have that. It's it's not widespread. I mean, I had to go to a hospital. Uh, my mum was in hospital uh, last month, and it is happening more and more in hospitals over here that they're having retail units put into to hospitals. So you have these agents, and you have somewhere where you can buy. Uh, other other you know other stuff and and now they've they've got these retail units and they thought why not have one in a hospital because we're, we're getting people come in they come in a hospital and one of the routine things they ask them is do you smoke and they'll give them information we could help you quit we could do this that and the other and so what presumably they do in that hospital is say have you tried vaping there's a shop just pop in there on the way out and see what you think so yeah there, there is that yeah definitely um, and do you and do you see Pro vaping ads in the bus, you know, the bus stop, you know, in other commercial places, you know, which are like, what do you see? Because we don't see obviously anything except for vaping kills. 
Yeah, yeah, we have we have vaping adverts. They can be on. They can be anywhere that doesn't cross borders. And this is a hangover from when we were in the EU. That the EU's Tobacco Products Directive uh, said that you could advertise, but only if it didn't cross borders. So you can't advertise on the internet. You can't advertise on TV because someone in another country could see it. So it is on the side of buses, bus shelters, um, hoardings. You know the, the big adverts. Uh, I don't know what you call them over there, um, yeah, uh, advertising hoardings. You can advertise on there, um, but but not in magazines, I don't think, not on telly, not on radio. But, yeah, it's something, and they they do tend to be on bus stops. You see them a lot on bus stops. Um, and the messages in those ads, I mean, could they be construed as pro-vaping, you know, positive messages about vaping? No, we have the same rules as Canada. You can't make... Uh, health claims. You can't say these things are 95% safer. Uh, health health authorities can. So um, the NHS, Public Health England, um, Cancer Research UK, which is our American Cancer Society or whatever, or Canadian Cancer Society, uh, they can make those claims because they're allowed to, but manufacturers can't, so they can't put that in their advertising. But some, I've seen vape shops get round the rules slightly by just printing off a page from the Cancer Research UK website, blowing it up nice and big and putting it on, on, a, on a sort of billboard outside their shop because they're not saying it, Cancer Research UK is saying it. So, and, and I haven't seen, I'm, I think technically that's that's technically against the rules, but I haven't seen anyone pulled up a, about it yet. Martin, next article of yours, which was published in Cent- the Centre Square, and this was in January of this year, op-ed, the CDC is mimicking anti-vaxxer rhetoric in its messaging on nicotine. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically just emphasizing um, all, the, um, all the harms that they could possibly imagine for vaping and really saying nothing much about the benefits. The benefits, they, they, you might find them somewhere scrawled away on a website on you know, if you scroll down far enough, but most of the messaging is about how this could happen and this could happen to you and and this could be happening and and this might happen in the future. And just imagine if they were to do the same thing with with the vaccines that that, that came out. You know, we everywhere across the world has rushed the vaccines out because they've realised that okay, we we haven't gone through the normal however many year process it is to make sure these vaccines are okay. But on balance, we're pretty sure that they're it's much better to give these vaccines out because it could save people's lives. And and what the CDC is doing is saying, well, well, we don't know anything about it. What about this? You know, it could have this. And this study said this. And cherry picking all the bad things that they think could happen. Uh, and all the while they're doing that, they're putting people off switching to vaping and, and, and people will carry on smoking, uh, which is the thing that is more dangerous. So it is exactly the same messaging really is as the anti-vaxxers message just fishing around trying to find some sort of bad thing about the vaccines and this is what the cdc and authorities in the us are doing with vaping just oh we found we found a study that said this we better highlight that rather than the overwhelming scientific uh consensus that they are far safer than smoking i'd like to turn our conversation a bit to the precautionary principle because it, it seems to be, you know, the main driving force that it doesn't get talked about a lot. But what's your what's your thoughts on that principle and how to might apply to what's going on? Well, we're vaping the precautionary principle really as it is is like I've, I think I've used the word before reckless. 
it's not precautionary, it's reckless, because we know, we know absolutely that, that vaping is far, far less harmful than smoking. It is not in doubt. This is, this is just an incontrovertible truth. And, and some of these authorities will say, and I've seen this argument so many times, say, yes, but we, we don't really know because we needed 50 years of evidence to, to work out that smoking was dangerous. But that, the report that the uh, Royal College of Physicians came out with in 1962, well, it's 1962, you're dealing with, with, with science and, um, and the technology that we had in the 1950s and the early 1960s. We're now in 2022. You know, we, we, our technology has advanced massively since then. We've sent people to the moon. You know, we've, we've, we've got computers. We've got, we've got things that, that can analyze um, uh, substances to the tiniest little atom. You know, that our, our knowledge and technology and, and, and techniques have moved on so massively. If, if smoking was invented now, within a week, we would know how harmful it is. We wouldn't need 50 years. But this is a, a trick, I think, that they use to try and say, you know, we need to wait 50 years. But if you wait 50 years under the precaution principle, you've got 50 years of people carrying on smoking. Uh, so it, it's not precautionary, it's reckless. It's, it's a silly thing to do. We know it's, it's, it's orders of magnitude uh, better than smoking for people's health. So we should be guiding people towards it. You say, look, we might be able to quibble on on how less harmful it is. It might be, you know, 80%, 90%, 95%. But it, we know it's far safer. So go and do that rather than smoking. That's the message they should should be coming out with. But instead, they're coming out with all the all the scaremongering. Um, and, and that's why I said it's, it's a bit like the anti-vaxxers, you know, who are just fishing around trying to find something bad about vaccines. Um, it just seems similar to me. So I wrote that. I often consider all of this communication around, uh, you know, the scare tactics around nicotine as being like a teleology of doom. It's, it's, it's just doom is the thing that's in their brain. And, and then they push that doom out onto the world. And, and that kind of is the justification. Yeah. And it's easy to do as well. Um, they know that, that newspapers these days, or news outlets, you can't even call them newspapers now, uh, they, they thrive on, on clicks and, and they know that bad news sells. So uh, if they put out a study, well, there's one came out recently with the American Heart Association where the, the study actually came out with some pretty decent results for vaping. It, it, it said that there's lots of benefits, but they picked out one little bit that, that was bad about vaping and that that was the head, headline of their press release and of course all the newspapers then picked it up and, and published it and the public was getting a completely skewed version of what that study actually said and this happens regularly it, it, it's, it's it's not uncommon for that to happen and so i think the media are almost as guilty as as the people putting the, the misinformation out there in the first place but you know, because you know, if a newspaper said, oh, a study's been done and it says vaping's quite okay, really, it's not really going to sell anything. It's not going to get the clicks in. And if they don't get the clicks, they don't get the advertisers. So I think there's a, it's a bit of both going on there. Um, but none of it is healthy for the, for the public's knowledge of, of vaping products. So whether it's to drive clicks and views and so forth, or um, ideological, the fact of the matter is, is that it's deliberately misleading. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think people who do it know they're doing it. 
Um, and um, but I don't think they really care. I think they've got their own agenda, whether it be the snobbery that we spoke about earlier, whether it be that they, um, there's always a stigma about nicotine use. There was, there was a stigma about smokers. There, there was people who would, who would look down on smokers as if they're like uh, not worthy compared with other people. So there's always that going on. And I think because many people who now vape used to be smokers, I think there's some of that still lingers on. Uh, and it's carried on with vaping. I, I think there was sort of like a, not a disgust of smokers, but uh, there was, you know, smokers are, are sort of seen by many people as second class citizens because they choose to smoke. And so, although people are now vaping, they're still seen by many people as, as nicotine users, nicotine addicts, uh, people who used to smoke. And I think some of that carries on. So, uh, you know, they just think you should just quit. Just quit. The number of times you see that in comment sections in, in news reports where someone say, I don't know what it's all about vaping. Why don't you just quit? Um, the UK's chief medical officer, Sally Davis, uh, Chris Whitty's the, the CMO now, but the one that preceded him, uh, Sally Davis, once um, sort of had a bit of an outburst about vaping when she was tackled with it. She said, I don't know why, why smokers can't just get a backbone. Why can't you just get a backbone and just quit? And, and there's that thing about it, like it's a moral failure. That if you that if you use nicotine and you enjoy nicotine, it's some sort of moral failure, and, and, and you should just quit it entirely. And, and yet, no one uh, says the same thing about coffee. You know, <laughs> I don't drink tea or coffee, but I know people who who can't get by a couple of hours without having a cup of coffee. No one says, "Oh, why don't you quit that that coffee? You're an addict." Uh, no one, no one does that. And and I think that's kind of the thing that's going on. It's it's, it's smoking is always had that stigma about it and I think that's carried on with vaping as well if you're not if you're quitting smoking and if you're not suffering then you're not doing it properly maybe it's uh rooted in the fact that coffee doesn't threaten the future of the children right because this is about save the children is it not and my philosophy around this is that is that there's a lot of hope that's placed on the children as they you know come of age and and become the better man that has been you know trained by the current crop of people so i mean if the whole save your children thing might just be coming these they've got all this hope in the children they don't want their children to be spoiled there's an innocence and maybe you know coffee doesn't uh, spoil that innocence where nicotine does d yeah i suppose so but you know caffeine and nicotine are, are, are sort of like on the same harm profile and and I'd say they're probably, from people I know who drink coffee, they're probably on the a, a same kind of level of, of addiction, I would have thought, or, or dependence or, or uh, habitual use or whatever what you want to call it. Um, and no one, no one has an age restriction for buying coffee. You know, I, I don't think there's anything in the UK which says that a 15-year-old can't go in a coffee shop and buy a coffee. Uh, but if you talk about 15-year-old going into a vape shop and and having a vape, even if they're a current smoker, there's there's uproar. You know, you can't do that. Um, and they and they do talk. You, you said about protecting children. That all you hear about this is is that kids could get addicted. But when they say addicted, they're not. This this a different thing from harm. Will they be harmed by the addiction? And and addiction, I think the definition says that if you're, you know, you can be addicted to something if it doesn't harm you. I don't think it's even classed as addiction. I think it's classed as dependence or, or a habit. Um, so 
is it addiction if, if it's not causing harm? Um, uh, I think the figures in the UK, uh, I think it's only 0.7 of 11 to 18 year olds who regularly vape in the UK were not former smokers. So if they were former smokers and they're 11 to 18, are they harming themselves if they were former smokers? No, they're not. They're reducing their harm. So this this addiction thing and the, the youth, I, I think a lot of the time it, they talk about youth, not just in, in vaping, they talk about in everything. And when you get to the point where people are trying to ban Coca-Cola with sugar in it because they say it's toxic and it's killing kids. No, it's not killing kids. It, it's not toxic. It, it, you know, it might mean mean that they sort of uh, drink too much of it and, and it, as part of a general lifestyle they might get a little bit overweight but it's not just the coke is doing that you know they're not they're not mainlining coke uh, coca-cola and getting fat as a result of that it's it's just i think it's it's a hard argument to come up against because they'll say oh this is it's for the children it's for the children it's for the children and um if you say well how about allowing people free choice they're just coming. What do you want? To, do you want the kids to die? You know, and, and I think this is an overwrought, pearl, pearl clutching, shroud waving sort of approach that a lot of these uh, public health people do. And it's 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 not just in fact, it's in every other area as well.